You want to find your tribe of raving fans. And that's just what we're here to help you do. This is the Digging Deep Podcast with 360 Media, where we help entrepreneurs build better businesses by not only sharing insights and candid conversations, but by nurturing our minds as well. Get ready to explore, plan, and showcase your business, because here we go. Here's your host, Chief Strategist of 360 Media and Educator at TacticalProgram.com, Justin Lamb. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Digging Deep. And today I am being joined on the podcast by the CEO of Catax Canada, Richard Hoy. And for those who have been tuning in frequently, you'll know that uh, one of his um, uh, colleagues and team members, Elvis, was on our podcast a little while ago, but uh, he's introduced me to Richard and we're going to have a really amazing discussion today. I'm pretty sure it's going to go really deep in the preamble. You weren't there, but holy Moses, hold on to your seatbelts because it's coming. Richard, thank you for joining me on the show today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for slotting me for uh, a little bit of time in your busy schedule. I saw the calendar and that's, uh, it's quite, quite the calendar you've got there today. So I deep, deeply appreciate your time. So uh, we're going to dive right into it. Tell me a little bit about um, who you are, what you do, uh, and who do you serve? Okay. Um, so my name is Richard Hoy. I'm CEO of Catex uh, Canada. Um, I founded it in at the end or, or the beginning of uh, June 2019, and in since June 19, 19 to now, uh, we've got ourselves to about 480 clients, mm -hmm. and we're working with companies as diverse as small breweries at one end and uh, TELUS at the other, with all manner of different organizations in every industry throughout the middle of that. Um, on the on the other side of my life. I act as a business mentor, and I work with the CEOs of, of a number of companies to help them unlock uh, performance. And I particularly have built a re reputation as somebody who is very good at creating um, organizational structure and change and people engagement uh, through uh, a predictable approach to business. Well, I'm super excited you talked about that because structure and framework is a really big part of what I believe in terms of building a company that's going to be able to automate and ultimately scale. And so, you know, where did you learn the skills? How did you, you know, come across this passion of yours? And, you know, where is it taking you around the world? Well, I've worked in 11 countries. So first of all, um, not for 11 companies, let me hasten to add. Um, I started off my career commission only selling door to door. And what that taught me was first of all, uh, you get what you deserve over a fairly short period of time. And, what, and absolutely, so if you turn up with your A game at a door, you'll get one response. If you turn up and you're half hearted, you'll get a different response at every door you go to. There's no, there's no getting around that. The self-reliance that comes from having to create the mental hardness that enables you to uh, evolve your emotional state, so therefore you can become uh, very en engaging to the people you meet the moment you meet them. And for those of you who have to go out and knock on doors or have to pick up the telephone and call customers, just think about what's going on before you pick up the call or, or before the door opens. Usually it's pretty dull. So the bar that you're trying to reach isn't that high. The level of enthusiasm you need to bring isn't that great to be more interesting than whatever was going on before you got there. Now, for me, that's been a, that's been a, a thought that is a, a that get, brings a great deal of solace, especially when you when you when you when you feel like you can't take any more rejection, which we've all been at that place where you just literally cannot take another day's rejection. But if, if you can find the way to reset yourself and find the mental hardness to be enthusiastic, be committed and talk with eloquence, people will listen. Um, so that's where I started. I then went through every level, every level of um, sales leadership to the point where I had some fairly large sales organizations. 
Um, I then stepped out of sales uh, and moved into operational management and then brought everything else to, together. But sales was always the core of what I, I needed to do. And if you look at what, where the value I bring, the, the greatest value I bring is helping organizations um, engage their clients in a different manner, which allows us, uh, allows those clients to understand that they're valuable. And, um, and then the operations people, and thank goodness for operations people, they're there to help whatever the crazy thing that I've just agreed to or negotiated, they're there to make it happen for the client. But let's face it, clients only buy for one reason. If you're going to make their world better by bringing value, you can sell anything as long as you sell the authentic attributes of that thing to clients who have a need. But you've got to identify the need, and the need means that they're, they're going to be less well off if they don't have your thing. So therefore, one of the things that I believe that salespeople get wrong is that they um, have an inversion in the way that they, from what is logically necessary, they will come in and they'll spray and pray the product or the company's attributes that they work for. And it's almost like they're hoping the client will do all the work to find out why that's relevant to them. Whereas if you go the other way, and you go and you just genuinely go out, meet people, wave your arms around, talk enthusiastically and listen to the client about what they're trying to achieve and listen to the things that are in their way of achieving those things, you'll usually find a way whereby what you have can positively support that client being more successful. So, I became, through the sales part of my life, I became very focused on that. Um, then I reached a point where I needed to be a little bit more. I needed to be less just about the individual contributor or the, the sales manager who was dragging everyone over the line. And I had to figure out some structure and process to be successful. So I created a, um, a set of models. And uh, I think I talked to you about it. I've been working on a book uh, which I give away to everybody, uh, which is on version 90 at 90 at the moment. It's been uh, a, a work of energy for 30 years-ish, um, although it's, it, it's at various levels of crapness as we go through this. And even, to even today, the book is filled with uh, lots, of, lots of yellow panels, which are the parts of the book that I have yet to write. The point is, it's not about that. The book was written to help the people who worked with me to understand the mental process to create predictable, replicable behaviors. I should pause and let you speak, or I yeah. could just say, what do I mean by that? Well, no, I, mean, I totally understand what you mean. <clears throat> by producing, and those people who are listening, you know, if you're, if you're listening and, and reading between the lines, what Rich is really alluding to is um, when you're, trying to build, automate, and scale a business, it's really difficult to do it when it's all in your head. When you're the one running everything, um, you know, from, from dumping the garbage all the way up to telling people where to go, nobody knows what you want. And so the frustration will come when you don't understand how to tell another person. What Richard is sharing with you is that you do need a set of framework and structure, you know, uh, further than that in SOP, but in a way that's tangible for somebody to be able to take that and then replicate what you're doing with predictable results. And that's the most important part, I think, of, of what Richard is trying to, to convey here. But it is really yeah, interesting. That's absolutely right, Justin. Um, you know, if you view that it, not everything that happens in the world as, is equal, you, you view that there's a hierarchy of value so at the top of that value is culture. Below culture, you come to strategy. Below that is structure. And often people put those two the opposite way around, and that's wrong. Culture, strategy, structure. Then you get to people. And, and again, and this comes from the book that we were just discussing, Marcus Buckingham's First Break All the Rules. 
you want to make sure you can put every person in your team in a place where you can give them an A, where they're playing to their strength, where you're not asking them to do the, the thing that they're least, least able to do. So culture, strategy, structure, people, processes, execution plan, tactics, in that order. And nothing in tactics should be impacting anything above it. Nothing in, in you know, the people shouldn't be defining the strategy or the structure. You, you've got to bring that from the culture down. And again, so that's one model, one logic set that you, you've got to keep into, once you know what your mission of your business is, nothing else you do can actually fit it, go into it. And that's vital. The next piece is understanding that in leadership, there are only three things that you do. First of all, you need to make sure everybody knows where the heck we're going. So you need to know where we're going and you need to be able to articulate it and give vivid mental pictures of what it looks like and what it's going to feel like to get there. You need to make sure everybody understands what their role is on the journey. And you need to make sure you have a team of volunteers who are wanting to be a part of the journey to go up the hill to, way, to, to, the, to the goal. And the final thing is you need everybody in a closed cycle of constant improvement. Now, I've worked with many people with many different disciplines, with many different sorts of uh, capability to add value. There are some people who are perfectionists who are freaked out by the idea of imperfection. I really have to say, you, you, nothing in a business is ever perfect. And the, there's, a, there's a, a, a desire to be better. Of course there is, and it absolutely should be. However, when you actually look at a business, you've got to understand that you can't get everything sorted. What you can sort straight away is what culture are you going to be? What's it going to feel like to be here? You can be clear on what are you value, what are your prepared to do and not prepared to do to get to your desired state? What are your values, in other words? Um, so the legs of your stool, what is, what, are you, what is your statement around employees? What's your statement around customers? And what is your statement around the business and shareholder value you're going to add and how you're going to do it? So where are you going? And then the three, how's you how are you going to get there? Allows people to buy in. Once they bought in, you can you can continue you can drive a cycle of constant improvement where your tolerance for imperfection diminishes. But you've got to have a tolerance for imperfection if you're leading a business. You've got to know you can't get it all right. It's never going to be perfect because the moment you can actually stand on the accomplishments that you've created and look further into the future you'll realize, oh my goodness, here, here's a, another herd of things that we haven't even thought of getting to yet. So the tolerance for imperfection has to diminish every day, but you have to have this understanding that actually we're doing our best today. We're doing the best, which requires that at least once a week with a team, you need to, you need to stand, turn and look down the hill that you've just climbed. And you need to do it at such a regular basis. Otherwise, you burn people out. People want to, people, everybody, all of us who are achievers, all of us look up the mountain all the time at the thing we're trying to get to. And you, but you have to take time to stop and look down the hill and say to everyone, look down, look at where we've just come from. Look at what we've just achieved. Holy moly, that's amazing what we've just achieved. Yeah, and this is really true. I mean, especially in the entrepreneurial space, where I think everybody is goal oriented and everybody wants to progress. But especially in in people who are one man shows, up to maybe even two to three people in an organization, very rarely do they celebrate the wins that they've had along the way. And you know, I'm a big proponent of uh, people celebrating their victories all on the way because. At the end of the day, you can have achievement, but no fulfillment. And the no fulfillment comes because you weren't able to celebrate and take in the journey along the way. And it's really interesting because 
you know, the way that you describe leadership and, you know, building culture is very similar to how I describe it in the work that we do. But in the same breath, it's also how we sell individuals. And what you're not selling is your individual product, but you're selling your vision and your dream. And you use the same formula as you do by making sure that you understand what it is that you serve and making sure that other people see how that service can impact their own lives. You need to make sure that they're in alignment with you. And I'm totally into having culture as the defining piece. And I actually believe that culture should start with uh, upper management and leadership rather than bottom down. And I know there's some people in, in some spaces believe that the people at the bottom dictate culture. And I think leaders dictate the culture. Leadership can come from any level of the organization, but ultimately in a small business enterprise, it usually comes from up top when it comes to large organizations and uh, boards and shareholders it comes from a little bit different, different levels, but leadership shows up because you have a vision and dream and you're able to rally the people against it. Yeah, I think, I think if you, I mean, what you just said is exactly right. Um, I sort of think of it in this terms. Often, I was, often through my career, I've been the person who's gone into an organization that is dysfunctional. It's not because the people are bad. 99% of the people you ever meet in your life are people just trying to find their own place and how they're going to fit. I believe that when the in, in the businesses I've been involved in, where I've gone in as the change agent, and I've seen this dysfunctionality, it's fairly easy to fix. Because everybody is trying to add value in their own way. And in the absence of clear vision of where we're going, what the mountaintop is, they do the thing that is probably... Uh, most logical to them where they are at that moment. And so you could have four, I mean, I, I'll give you an example. Um, I had two groups of two groups in an organization who were both bidding against each other to compete for the same business, driving down the profitability of the company each time anyone won. It seems insane that two company, two businesses, business units in a company would be destroying shareholder value for their own company. But I promise that happened. And of course, the moment you take these two business units and you go, you throw them together, put them as one and give them one set of objectives, that immediately goes away. The, the truth is, good people without direction will try and do good things, but they won't make sense together as an organization. It's, it's as simple as that. Um, and again, you give clarity of purpose, you offer therefore people an opportunity. You're saying, okay, we're saluting a blue flag, we're wearing blue t-shirts and we're going north. If you don't want to go North, if you don't want to wear blue t-shirts and you don't want to salute a blue flag, I totally admire and respect that. Let me help you go and do the thing you want to do. I would like you to come through the turnstile. I'd like you to get on this train. I'd like you to come with me. But if you're going a different direction, you literally can't be a part of this journey. But we'll remain friends and we'll help you get on the train you want to get on. And that revelation, especially in an organization that's underperforming, is so easy to implement. Providing it's done with empathy and respect and dignity and consistency, rep repetition. I think COVID has, been, has um, been, in many respects, a huge refresher for many organizations. But the ones that are successful through this period are the ones who are upping the amount of contact, not reducing the amount of contact. If you're leaving people at home and not keeping in touch with them, you're going to see weird things happen and none of them are going to be good. If on the other hand, you're using this time to allow people to put personal development into their lives. In my team at CatEx, um, my team are responsible for taking half a day off every two weeks to go and focus on personal development. 
every Tuesday morning, we run a, a training seminar, which is not just for my team. I've opened it up to the world. And we are constantly in this cycle of improvement, but we also have uh, an end of day meeting every, every day at 4.45, where people talk about their day, they talk about their challenges, they talk about their stresses, they talk about the snow, they talk about things that have worked, things that haven't worked, what do they need help with? And we have this constant cycle of micro improvements. And we have a, we have a, a goal setting meeting at the beginning of the week on Monday morning. But again, it's uh, 45 minutes, if I'm disciplined, it's 45 minutes. Um, and then we have a number of other things that go along. And once a month, we do a review of the business plan and every, every employee in the business is a part of the business plan review. Again, what does that mean? It means that we reaffirm where we're going. We reaffirm our values. We reaffirm our culture. And we, we download everything that we could do. And we then prioritize. So everything in our business plan is color-coded. Pink means we should do that thing. Orange means we've started it, we're trying. Red means we tried it and actually we failed and we're killing that thing off and never going near it again. And green means we won. So in my business plan, there is very little green. Despite our progress, there's an awful lot of orange, as there should be. And there's a whole load of pink, which we'll get to when we can. But I do believe it's iterative. It's always iterative. And I think that you, as a leader, and regardless of the size of your business, or, and even if you're a business, if you're, if you're a, a charity or if you're any other sort of entity, um, looking at the world through a three-phased approach, setting expectations, driving behavior, auditing, reviewing, recognizing, and then resetting the expectations and going through the cycle again. So one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. But then doing it on three planes, on the customer plane, on the employee plane, and on the business plane. So you're doing it almost like a matrix on the three planes and on the three phases to guarantee that everybody can play a part, understand where they sit in it, and, to, and they can give their opinions. And there's a short circuit to let the gas out when the pressure's rising. Yeah, it's really important. And I think leadership, um, oftentimes, especially as organizations grow, um, leadership fails to allow that gas to sort of um, dissipate. And when it builds up too high, then they're not able to handle that load um, and or the pushback. Um, and, you know, they're often dealing with triaging the, the problem where it could have been handled much earlier, but as, you know, leaders are often pulled in many directions. You know, I like the, the strategy that you implement, the color-coded strategy. What other ways do you feel uh, is a good way for, you know, smaller organizations, maybe one or two um, <clears throat> owners and maybe sub 10 employees, like how can they do that on a day-to-day -day basis? Whereas the CEO and owner, they're still being pulled in a few different directions, they're not single entity, you know, single job description, um, people within the um, organization. So if you, thank you. Um, if you were to look at another book, D Daniel Kahneman's uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, the two parts of your brain. So the, the first part of your brain, which was designed. So, you know, if you're, if you're looking across a field and one, one leaf moves the wrong direction, your heckles go up and you know there's danger. Um, that, fa that fast brain, so um, we all recognize it uh, as we walk down the street, we, uh, we, we, we see people who we don't like the look of and cross the road or make choices or whatever it might be. But as a leader or as a, as a business leader, often your fast brain is jumping in and you're, you're reacting to things. Um, your slow brain, so again, in, in Kalman's um, uh, uh, language, he says your fast brain uh, is defined by one sentence. What you see is all there is. 
But the truth is that isn't the case. Um, when somebody in your team is feeling stress, it usually isn't the thing they tell you they're stressed about. It's something else. Unless you put that first ahead of the business's results, ahead of anything, ahead of customers even, that person will not evolve through that scenario and will be diminished through the scenario. The reality is everything you do is counts for everything. So uh, do you have do you have your 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 screens in between you and your employee if they're in their office? Or do you have your office set up so people have to? So you've got to turn your way away from the, the screens every time you're having a conversation. If you're on the screen, do you have other things on another screen? Are you tinkering away or are you in the conversation? These are choices you can make as a leader. To get you out of just fast brain reaction, thinking that people are problems that need to be fixed, as opposed to people who are living and, and, and experiencing things. Your slow brain requires that you sit down and write something. So let me put this in context, and I know I'm a little extreme on this, but I'm on version 40 of my business plan on a business that was started in Canada in the middle of 2019. I am committed to this concept of principle of small incremental steps forward. Therefore, the business plan needs to be iterated regularly. Even this morning, I've, uh, I've added a page to the business plan based upon an email that I got from one of our business partners. A brilliant idea, I think. We'll find out. It'll go to the next review with the team and it'll be discussed. Um, which is this, af this, this afternoon, uh, just at the end of our 4.45 um, end of day meeting. So the point is, as a business leader, you need to take the time out to stop working in your business, to work on your business. Otherwise, you'll always be working in your business. And the reality is you'll lose yourself up your own chimney, if you like, as you burn yourself out and more and more things become the center of your attention. You've got to take the time out and you've got to schedule that time to work on the business, to build strategic partnerships, to find better ways of doing things, to decide to stop doing something because again you know I, I watch businessmen all over the place who once they start something they become addicted to continuing it whereas the reality is your clients will try and lead you down the garden path they will try and get you to go into businesses that are bad for you or deliver services or deals that are bad for you and you've got to be able to say, no, here's my strategy. I respectfully, I'm going to sit this one out because this one doesn't fit where we're trying to get to. But if you haven't documented your strategy, if you're not refreshing your strategy, you don't have the context to make what in on, ostensibly look like hard decisions, but become incredibly easy, easy decisions when you've done the work. Yeah. And, and I, I really do like in that too, um, alluding to a, a Warren Buffett kind of uh, phrase is that, you know, write all the things that you really want to do and knock off the bottom five and keep the top five and focus on it. And it's really true. I mean, business is the same. There, in, in my opinion, there are millions of ways, like a calculus equation to get to the other side, um, to wherever you want to go. But you only have limited time and resources. So you can't pursue all these million of, of variables and you have to select uh, the finite few and go down them and then 
you know, as you're improving and you're finding out that you're having obstacles in place that you could, you know, replace it with a new uh, possibility, that's when you kind of go and do it. And I think it's a lot of people who are technicians in their space, which are like, you know, the people who started a business because they're deeply passionate or filling a void in the, the space, they're so deeply rooted into the reactive part of their business, their fast brain thinking that they're not carving out the time, you know, deliberately to work on their business. And that's what I think entrepreneurs need to do is you need to actually schedule it in. Like you schedule a workout, we schedule time in with your wife, your family, your kids, you need to schedule in an hour, two hours, um, you know, in a week to work on the business in itself. And over time, you're going to start to find that that shifts, right? We, you know, I'm sure that you've, you must, you've seen that in organizations where, you know, if you're carving out that time, that one hour, you know, spent on your business eventually starts to multiply itself and the time in your business starts to decrease. And that's the key to scaling, right? And that's the key to, to automation um, is to ensure that you're writing those things down and, you know, all documents, including your purpose and your mission evolves over time as you find, you know, and fine tune, you know, the direction that you go, the iterative process that you, you well, speak of. Yeah. I, uh, two, two thoughts came from what you were saying just then. Um, the first thing is, don't do it by committee. Literally don't do it by committee. Everyone has an opinion and you'll spend your time about word crafting it. The mission for my business is be so good you can't be ignored. I stole it from Steve Martin. I've been using it for multiple businesses over years and years and years. It's as simple as that. Be so good you can't be ignored. What does it mean? I don't know what it means. Every employee doesn't know what it means, but every day they're offered the opportunity in small T-junctions of either doing something good or doing something okay. Be so good. Why wouldn't you be that? Then underneath that, we have three phrases. We have the first one regarding our employees which is we build the people and the people build the business. We have the second one, which is to do with our customers, which is win, lose, or draw. Our clients love us. Again, what does that mean? I don't know what it means. But what we have been over the last period is we've been the matchmakers between two of our clients coming together to create another business. We have introduced clients who we thought would like each other or work together. We have uh, done business mentoring. We have gone and helped a client build a sales organization. We've done a myriad of those sorts of things, um, which weren't on our direct path, but they were better for the client. And the, the final one is this constant cycle of improvement. The, the, we're, we're an imperfect company today. We're going to be less imperfect tomorrow. It's okay to try something and screw up. And the other thing is, when you pilot, pilot it, pilot in a microcosm. Futs around in the dark. Give it a go. And if it's if it sucks, put a bullet through it, kick it to the curb, and pretend it never existed, and try something new. But don't stop your business. And put a ship in the ocean on this new business until you've tested it. Business planning, in my view, is the most important thing you can ever do. Bar none. But business planning, you can't forget, is just structured lying. It's just guesses. When you start a business, you're just guessing. And I watch people spend months and months and months putting a business plan together at the beginning of a business. No, don't. Just go out and knock on some doors and see what happens. And then when you know what works and know what doesn't work, write that down. But start with a culture and a mission, and values. That's it. What am I prepared to do and not prepared to do to be successful? 
And for those of you who enjoy wallowing in the business planning process, uh, when I was a salesman back in the day before the internet, it always used to amaze me when people would go, when salesmen would go to the, the reference library to go prospect, uh, to go and do research on prospects. There are no customers in the re research library. You've literally got to go out and get the nose and knock on the doors and do that. And so again, I believe there are five variables you control. Activity. You can choose whether you do one or a hundred. If you do one, you only have one piece of data. If you do a hundred, you can accidentally be successful on the way and you have a hundred pieces of data. Focus. You can choose to be engaged actually really in that moment, or you can choose to try and be cool. Cool sucks because no one, no one trusts cool. People trust people who they know are engaged. You can also choose whether you go to the CEO or don't go to the CEO of your clients. You'll, it's easy to get brushed off down to the operations manager or another functionary in a, in a client, but you're just going to get faffed around. You really want to go to the CEO. Go to the CEO. It's hard. Yes, so what? Go there. Skills. You can focus on your skills. You can focus on your business planning writing. You can focus on your selling approach. You can, you can, be, you can read spin selling and, and really understand the approach to spin selling. And you can role play and you can test it. You can build your skills. And um, the reality is we know it takes 10,000 hours to build a real deep competence. So why not do it now rather than waiting 20 years to go, oh, I'm, I'm actually good now. And, and that requires that you go and practice and, and role play and test and try things out. Record yourself, watch your re recording, all of those things. Activity, focus, skills. Courage, do something outside your comfort zone for a reason. Doing something outside your comfort zone without a reason, clearly stupidity. Doing something outside your comfort zone with a, with a precise reason has phenomenal effects and is a, an amplifier. And the last one isn't to be under, underestimated, is luck. Take the shot. What the heck? You would not believe the number of incredible deals I've got just by asking someone in a coat in reception, where are you going? Can I give you a lift to the airport? I have driven people to the airport and they've been the CEO's brother, his lawyer, his biggest investor, all because I'm prepared to just give it the shot. And if you're doing something more, more, more uh, local, if you're knocking on doors, and I was knocking on doors, what, two years ago with a young 18-year-old sales guy. And I walked, up, I walked up to someone who was walking their dog. And I ended up selling three house loads of telecom solutions because he had two kids and he wanted everyone to have the fiber in the house and all the rest of it. Just because I went up and talked to a man with a dog. And that, that luck, that thing happens to me every day because I constantly am prepared to take the shot, to show that I'm interested, to risk embarrassing myself, to have a go. Yeah, and so, I totally believe that luck is the crossroads of opportunity and preparation. And clearly you're prepared when you walked into it. So the opportunity just happened to present itself. So luck yeah. is technically made in my opinion, but uh, you can't have luck if you, didn't, you weren't prepared enough to take the shot. I agree. I agree. The point is, those five variables, I believe, I believe in life, over time, you're going to get exactly what you deserve. If you put the work in, if you put the focus in.
but you have these variables and you can control all of those variables. And I believe that, that, it, that success over time is like a cake. If you put the ingredients in, in the right order, in the right way, you're going to get a cake you like. If your ego is in the way of risking embarrassment, risking failure, if you're not prepared to put the activity in, if you're not prepared to focus on the skills, if you don't want to look, look a bit daft when something goes wrong, and, uh, and, you know, I try things and fail more than most people. And what I do is I pick up that story and I, get, I take it just to the next person and I tell them how, what an absolute arse I was and I make it into the funniest story because I've tried something and screwed up. But if you're not prepared to do those things, the activity, work on the skills, or try something outside your comfort zone, I guarantee your world is going to be diminished from somebody who is over time. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% believe that, you know, for all intents and purposes, I believe that what, what you're saying is um, really when you're out there and you're putting yourself in front of all these people, uh, the, the success of your business, the success of anything is limited by the individual at the top. Your ability, your ego gets in the way of that. And if you can put that ego aside and you can uh, put everything else forward, the ingredients in the cake, so to speak, and have the humility to, you know, to, to continue to reach, continue to, tr to, to strive for better and realizing that you're only human and you're only on that path, um, that if you're willing to do that and get out of your own way you'll find your success uh, where you're meant to find success and, and meant to find success, meaning that you have an alignment. And, you know, for me, and I think from you, you know, as, I, as I'm talking to you here and listening, um, that the alignment has to come from within yourself to begin with. You can't, you can't have the existential alignment of, you know, what people think your business should be, you know, by committee or whatever. It's whatever it is that resonates with you uh, and what you wholeheartedly believe in as your mission, your vision you know, and what you truly desire. And if you can find that alignment and you put, check your ego at the door that you're going to find that success and, you know, that restriction of where you're stuck now, it's because your own mindset has locked you there. I think so. I, I, for me, uh, the, the, I've never really loved any of the products so much. I love the journey and the people. Um, the products are what they are. Um, I mean, at Catax, we have a great solution. We have a really amazing solution. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. But that wouldn't have been enough to feed my soul. Um, what is my joy is the opportunity to work with great people and to build, and every day when I go out, I build friendships with new clients. And for me, that's that's the the joy of it, that I'm going out. I get the opportunity. I mean, for goodness sake! I mean, look at look at the life we live um, as business people. We get the opportunity to go out, meet new people, learn unbelievable new things about those people, do a mini MBA on their business, and make new friends. You know. The idea, my, my idea of hell is is a is a life that doesn't have that. Fantastic. Well, I know in the preamble before we started recording the show, we were talking a lot about books, but you know, generally I try to ask all of my podcast listeners about a book that you deeply believe in or that has deeply impacted your own journey. Um, you know, whether it's one of the books that were that you were talking about uh, or another book, what book would you choose to share with the audience? As I told you before, um, there is a Malay, uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's a, a spectrum of books that come together with ideas that have been very important. 
Um, I think one of the biggest and most important books for me crossing the Rubicon from being a, an individual contributor, um, not, in, not, a, not as Julius Caesar, let me be clear, uh, but crossing from the mindset of being an individual contributor into being a manager of managers. And that is perhaps the hardest, you know, when you, when you go from an individual contributor to um, a leader of people, your strength of will can, can bring them along. But moving from um, a, a first level leader to a second level or a third level leader, you reach the point where you can only do it through strategy and through pre-considered approaches to allow people to engage and become disciples to the journey. Um, and I suppose the first one would be seven ha uh, the, the, the seven habits um, from Covey. And the reason it was so important was um, two things. There was seek first to understand before you were asked to be understood was a revelation. It was, it was like one of those moments that you go, Oh dear Lord, what have I been? And, and then if you link that to starting with the end in mind, starting with the end in mind and seek first to understand before you ask to be understood, those two laws for me were unbelievably timely at that point in my life. And I still have a formulaic approach to everything that I do. Every document I write starts with the desired state, the values, looks at the current state in the context of the desired state, and then builds the plan from here to there. And, and, and I mean, every single document I ever write, I articulate at the beginning the desired state. And, and there's a, if, if anyone is looking to try and create the desired state, ask yourself this question, this one question, and it's hard to create the discipline to do it. In the perfect world, what does good look like? Doesn't sound very clever. In the perfect world, what does good look like? And then ask yourself, what are the, the next question, which is the one that keeps you on the straight and narrow and keeps people liking you, which is, what are the values of good? So in the perfect world, what does good look like? And then what are the values of good? And what the values are, what am I prepared to do and not prepared to do to get to good? Then when you go to your current state, your current state is in the context of good. So if you think of you think about most people in life, they live on the they live on the zombie journey. They're good people, they go to work, they work hard, they do their best, and they're constantly causing themselves to go along the same path. And if you extrapolate that from there to the end of time, you can see where they're going. But if you say, in the perfect world, what does good look like? All of a sudden, you're, you're on that angle of journey because, and everything you do is taking you to a better place. Yes, you might, have, you, you might scrape your knees a bit more, but, but you're gonna be out there doing things that make sense. And then you have the context for the T-junctions. And if you think about it, every moment of every day, you've got little decisions to make. Do I go for a coffee? Do I finish this uh, email? Do I do this or do that? Do I, do I re pick up the phone and make a phone call to somebody who I might be embarrassed by? Or do I... This idea of, of a clear goal and a clear set of values brings you to your T-junction and now the decision that was a non-decision before becomes an easy and clear decision and you make more of the right decisions. You don't make all the right decisions, but you make more of the right decisions. So Covey was, was incredibly, incredibly important to me. There have, been a, there have been so many books I've taken something away from, but 
that was at a really important time. Probably I was about 33. Um, and it was a it was an incredibly important time as I was trying to create a way of communicating with other people so they could come with me and they would understand why I had made choices or decisions. And it gave me a vehicle to help me understand where they were. So when I gave them the solution that we were going to follow, I could give it in their context rather than my context. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Now, the confines of our time and, and restrictions, of course, I'm sure we could have gone down many rabbit holes. And thank you so much for trying to stick down to one, one particular niche topic, because I mean, even within this, we could have probably dived in for a few hours. So I, I would love to have you on again, if you would be uh, so interested. And so if, uh, if, if you'd like to, we can definitely uh, arrange another time. For those people who are listening, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you got lots out of it because, you know, Richard just shared an an enormous amount of stuff. So, I mean, if you've listened to this once, I'd say go back, listen to it again, because there's so much information packed in there. You read between the lines um, because there's just, there's just so much wisdom within the context of stuff. So, but thank you so much for joining me here today, Richard. Uh, you know, really did enjoy the time. My pleasure. And uh, it's, it's great to, it, you know, the, these are these moments where you get the opportunity to sharpen your own saw. Uh, when you're explaining how you do things, it reaffirms you back to um, what's important. Thank you very much for your time as well. Well, thank you so much. And for those people who want to connect with Richard, um, I'm going to have that description in the, uh, or have his contact in the description below uh, podcast. So make sure that you hit him up if you have any questions or comments and, or if you're looking to have a consultant help you with your business. So again, thank you, Richard. And uh, have if a If anyone day. wants a copy of this, it is massively imperfect. It's got scribbles and thoughts on it all over the place. I'm more than happy to send it out in PDF. Oh, fantastic. Um, it, it is there to try and help people evolve and develop. Oh, amazing. Oh, I think, I think some people are definitely going to hit you up with that one. So, but thank you again, Richard. Cheers. Man. We want to thank you for listening to the Digging Deep podcast with 360 Media. Your time is valuable and we're deeply humbled that you are spending this time with us. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at 360photo and at Tactical Titans. You can also email us. We want to make this channel great, something you enjoy and find tons of value in. Send us your insights to info at 360photo.com. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. It helps us reach more listeners. As always, tune in next week as we dig deeper into business and marketing.